You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get things started. Happy Wednesday. It is January 31st. You've made it through the longest month of 2024. Glad you're along with us. We're live in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for another edition of Sportsnet Today, brought to you by our good friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Logan Gordon along with you. We've got a busy two-hour show for you this afternoon. We'll stop by if, uh, with our friends from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Check in with Big Nazar as the Vancouver Canucks lock up another piece of their management group to an extension. Patrick Alvin, the GM, the latest to get a... Uh, extension in Vancouver. Jim Rutherford got one a few weeks ago, and now they lock up the GM. But, of course, everyone in Vancouver concerned about locking up Elias Pedersen. So we'll check in with the Vancouver Canucks. Wednesdays, of course, mean a chat with our pal Ailish Forfar from Sportsnet 590 The Fan in Toronto and the co-host of the Fan Pregame Show on Sportsnet. She's going to be all around All-Star Weekend in Toronto, so we'll see what's up with Ailish. And, of course, Wednesdays mean a special edition of Wednesday's uh, Wildcard Wednesday, and we have two outstanding producers who are going to join us for that a little bit later on. Shan and making a very special uh, Wednesday appearance with us, uh, the GOAT of producers here at Sportsnet 960, Taylor Dingman, along with us as well. Fan feedback line open to you at 960-960. We'd love to hear from you on this Wednesday. Three NHL games on the schedule tonight we'll get to as well. Because although the Flames have been on break for a while and most teams are on their all-star break, uh, we still got one more night of hockey before the NHL officially takes a couple days off and all the focus heads to Toronto for all-star weekend. Uh, we're going to start off the program uh, on a sensitive subject, so just uh, a warning out there for anybody listening. Uh, we're going to dive more into the 2018 uh, Hockey Canada investigation, which continued to bring us news yesterday as four more players surrender to London police. Uh, we got statements from those players, lawyers, and uh, in turn, we found out that Dylan Dubé of the Calgary Flames was indeed one of those four players charged with sexual assault. Um, and the Calgary Flames, just as we went off the air for Tuesday's show, um, released a, a statement on that, and I wanted to start the show by bringing that to you. Uh, this is the statement from the Calgary Flames. It's available on their website and on their social media platforms uh, if you'd like to read it them yourself. Uh, but this is what it says. Quote, we have now become aware of the charge of sexual assault that has been laid against Dylan Dubé. We take this matter very seriously. Because the matter is now pending legal proceedings, we will have no further comment at this time. We had no knowledge of pending charges at the time Dylan's request for a leave of absence was granted. And uh, that. The statement from the Calgary Flames coming out on Tuesday night after uh, the final four players who were asked to surrender to London police uh, did so, and uh, all four of their lawyers did go out and uh, release a statement. It's, of course, now in the hands of the legal system, and we won't dive 
um, much into that as, as we can. It's, it's really just our job to present as many of the facts to you as we can. Um, but, of course, the statement from the Calgary Flames is an important one because unlike some of the other players in this case, Dylan's absence was not technically deemed a, uh, a just a leave of absence. It was a mental health leave that Dylan um, went on, and a lot of people were very curious about that. And, look, I'm not going to dive deep into this. It's uh, – it's i think the flames are well aware of what you know that sort of terminology means after everything that the club has been through with Oliver Shillington um i think you take your your player a guy that you drafted at face value and and go from there and there's of course legal aspects to all of it that uh make this thing a whole lot more complicated than any of us want it to be we'd rather just be talking about hockey and not legal proceedings and wording and all of that, but uh, it was important for the Calgary Flames to release their statement, and uh, you're welcome to feel about it um, however you want to because, again, we're not here to, to tell you how to feel about this case or to tell you what um, is next or how it's going to go. That's not our business. We'll follow along with it, of course, because uh, we're the home of the Calgary Flames and a Flames player is involved in this, and it's a massive story not just in sport, but for Hockey Canada and across our country. Um, next up, the London Police did announce today that uh, on February 5th, they will release more details on this case. They'll have a press conference on Monday, February 5th at noon Calgary time. So expect that to be the next time uh, the London Police Service um, releases any information on this case. There's a lot of moving parts in this and uh, a lot to, to look forward to in the uh, a lot to talk about, excuse me, in the future of this case and where it goes from here. Uh, Sportsnet's Paul Grant uh, has been covering this story um, as diligently as he can for Sportsnet. He joined Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick show a little bit earlier on on this Wednesday to sort of go through all the details and uh, wanted to play some of that for you here. Um, as Paul dives into the latest on this story around the 2018 World Junior Hockey Team investigation. Yeah, I think we're seeing uh, the latest developments uh, overnight, uh, late last night, uh, where the lawyers uh, confirming that their players have been charged. So the last four players of the five have, uh, have been will be charged. Um, the lawyers have gotten out in front of it and issued their own statements, etc. This started when uh, Alex mm -hmm. Formanton turned himself in uh, last week, uh, over the weekend, uh, in London uh, to be arraigned uh, and charged. So we're looking at the process, uh, Jeff, is, is, it's a culmination of many, many months of investigation uh, and uh, evidence uh, uncovering, discovery, etc. by the London Police Service. So right now we're seeing that. And mm. the next step, of course, will be the official, what is supposed to be or what could be the official reading of the charges on Monday in London. You know, one, one of the things, and I, I do want to get to that in a couple of moments. And, and Paul, I do want to ask you if we have any sort of, uh, of indication as to what's next for the, uh, for the five who have been charged. Um, the London police has been heavily criticized all along the way, first for the uh, initial investigation and then the length uh, that it took for this investigation to wrap up. Now, I have never worked in the legal field, so I always feel like more than a little bit of a fraud when I say this is taking too long because really I don't know what goes on. 
Um, but from your experience uh, and from your knowledge, did this one, essentially what I'm asking is, did this one take too long to get us to this point? I think it, it took a little bit longer than it should have. Um, having said that, this is kind of an unprecedented situation. Uh, there are not a lot of situations where you have uh, one survivor and uh, potentially multiple alleged uh, attackers or sexual assaulters. Um, in, in my talking to uh, lawyers and, and other people in the legal profession and police officers, uh, this kind of thing uh, is unprecedented. And I think that the complications around this in terms of the inebriation, uh, the alleged inebriation, the alleged uh, people involved, um, it really complicated the matter in terms of clear-cut evidence, in terms of clear-cut testimony. Um, one of the things in talking to a Crown attorney about this, uh, the Crown attorney said that the evidence has got to be very solid and very well documented and very tried and true in order to hand it over to the Crown attorney. So the police have to have everything locked down. I think that that's what happened in this first go-around, that there was a, there was a question of uh, consent around this particular incident. And that complicated yeah. things for the London police. Uh, they revisited it, I think, largely because of the blowback that they received uh, in the public forum. And as a result, they dug deeper into the incident and the charges. And that's where we are right now. It's, so it's, it's a complicated answer, Jeff, really. I, you know, I, I think that because of the situation that, that, hap- that allegedly occurred, um, we're looking at a very complicated, very complicated uh, situation in terms of discovering evidence, mm. uh, talking to witnesses, et cetera. And that's why we are where we are today. So for these charges um, to be levied against these five hockey players, do they need or did they need a cooperating victim? That, that's a very good question, and that's a question that we've sort of been asking since the beginning. Uh, the uh, alleged survivor who went by EM in court documents, uh, it became clear very early on that uh, she did not want to uh, make more of this than it, than it occurred. You can imagine the trauma around this situation for this particular person and having to not, you know, you don't want that person to have to relive this again and again and again. It's a, it's a, it's a problem in the system right now that, uh, that occurs quite frequently. And so her uh, not taking part in subsequent uh, investigations was seen as a bit of a roadblock. However, in talking to uh, some experts on this and some lawyers and, and legal uh, advisors, it's not necessarily a requirement. If the, if the police, if the London police feel that they have enough evidence to warrant charges, they can go without uh, the, uh, the cooperation of the alleged uh, survivor. Now, it's not very common. It doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. Um, having said that, uh, I believe that the survivor has re-engaged with uh, London police at some point along the way during this investigation, and I think that that's why we have mm-hmm. uh, clear-cut charges right now. Uh, with Paul Grants, I'm talking with the 2018 World Junior Team uh, with players charged with sexual assault going back to this 2018 case. Um, I think there are a few things that we wonder about with this one, and... One of them is there was a and is a Hockey Canada report uh, on what happened. There is an NHL report 
on what happened. Neither have been released. Um, Elliot and I talked about this on the podcast a couple of different times, and, and Elliot's main point was the threat of litigation kept those two reports from being released. One of the things, Paul, that I had wondered about was, you know, was there a fear that if either Hockey Canada or the NHL released their reports, that it would somehow compromise the London police investigation? Do you know one or or both of these things to either be true or not true? Well, right now, the Hockey Canada uh, investigation is currently under adjudication. It's being appealed. Um, internally, right. the results are have been completed. That's the Robitaille report, essentially, and yeah. it's being appealed uh, by Hockey Canada in terms of what the conclusions of that report were. So I, that's kind of tied up in appeal right now. So I don't know if that would have come out or not. Uh, it's sort of a, a situation where we don't really know. The NHL, in, uh, uh, on the other hand, I think, and this is just personally uh, based on you know conversations I've had with other people around it. I have not talked directly to somebody in the NHL involved with this, but my take is that they couldn't really do anything with any sort of teeth, the NHL, without legal charges being laid um, or the idea that consequences, legal consequences were taken. We've seen in the past around the NHL when things have happened uh, in the courtroom, they are very quick to act uh, in terms of suspensions, in terms of investigations, etc. So I think this is the same kind of situation here where the, the 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 lever that would fall with the official charges by London police would therefore have a cascade effect and would uh, essentially trigger the NHL potential suspensions uh, and any other sort of action. The PA is going to have to be involved at some point uh, after charges yep. are laid. So there's a lot of things that I think are really hinging on action by London police. You know, one of the things that I think a lot of people, I myself included, are wondering about uh, is, you know, when would this go to trial? And, you know, the the early response is, you know, don't expect this to be anytime soon. This is still going to probably be a couple of years. Um, In your conversations with people in the legal field, when it's a case like this involving high-profile athletes in a very high-profile story, um, one that has seen, you know, Hockey Canada specifically, um, you know, uh, face, you know, uh, people have, you know, lost careers, lost jobs, boards have been completely replaced, uh, new mandates, new way, new governance, all of it for Hockey Canada. Given what we've seen, this story has already produced within hockey, specifically in Canada. Is there a mechanism? Is there a desire? Does it ever happen where considering how high profile a case this is and how much public interest there is in Canada about it, is there any chance that the schedule for a trial gets moved up? Well, I think that that's a possibility. Anything is a possibility with something like this, I think, Jeff, because it's so unprecedented. I mean, we, we, we've seen mm-hmm. uh, parliamentary committees uh, convened to talk about this very matter, which you don't get a lot of, obviously, in other uh, sexual assaults involving hockey players, etc. So this is a big story. This has captured the eyes of uh, Canadians right across the country, and also because of the uh, involvement with Hockey Canada and the so-called slush fund to cover uh, uh, incidents like this, uh, legal uh, incidents. There are a lot of things that go into this, so I wouldn't say yes or no either way. I will tell you that uh, having talked to a lawyer uh, last night, who's familiar with this case, 
the speculation was that we might be looking at multiple trials. We might be looking at uh, multiple appeals after those trials are over. And then it could go as far as the Supreme right. Court of Canada. So you're, you're, you're talking about things that, you know, we're talking about years here. Uh, this is not going to be wrapped up uh, at any time soon, I don't imagine. So you could be looking mm-hmm. at, for instance, uh, you have five players that are going to be charged, as, as it appears. You could have three main trials and then two plea bargains. And so, therefore, you have uh, a different sort of perspective. You have three separate trials. And by having three separate trials, the people in those three trials cannot be in the other two trials. Um, so you'll have right. you'll have court dates all over the place, and as my lawyer contact mentioned, uh, you'll have a very expensive uh, lawyer bills out of this because it will be uh, there will be appeals. Mm-hmm. There'll be a lot of uh, hours billed around this because it's such a complicated case. And then one of the questions becomes, and we'll await. You know, listen, um, Commissioner Gary Bettman is going to speak at the All Star, we believe, on Friday. And, you know, this will be one of the questions he'll be asked. I think a lot of us wonder about um, punishment power or suspension power that the commissioner has in a situation like this. Um, You know, governing all of it will be a couple of documents, one the CBA and the other the SPC, which is the standard player's contract. Um, I'm not going to guess at what the commissioner is uh, going to say or what the commissioner is is able to do. Um, I I will ask you, though, do, do you know... Uh, I have any indication of talk to anybody who understands what powers Gary Bettman has in this situation to suspend or not? Yeah, I don't have a really good sense of that, Jeff, honestly. But I think that based on precedent, he could do pretty much what uh, he wants <laughs> in these kinds of situations. I think it's a you know conduct unbecoming of a professional. There are all sorts of clauses in the CBA and in the standard contract that uh, allow for mm-hmm. action uh, regarding this kind of matter. Uh, I do f- suspect um, that the NHL and the PA, uh, having prepared for this for months and months, because we were hearing that charges were going to be laid uh, almost uh, regularly in, for the last six months, um, mm-hmm. I, I do believe that uh, the NHL and the PA will be responding pretty quickly uh, after charges have been laid. I, I can't speculate in terms of what uh, Commissioner Batman will say on Friday, but I do believe that it wouldn't be out of the ordinary, it wouldn't be outrageous for these players to be suspended indefinitely by the NHL come Monday. Okay, uh, before I let you go, is there anything you think our listeners slash viewers uh, should be made aware of? Uh, the one thing I, I don't want to do is, is, is let you go without making sure that you... Uh, essentially uh, exhaust the tank here. Is there anything else that you think is particularly salient in this case, Paul, that you think we should all be aware of? Well, I think the Monday really hinges, you know, it is the pivot point for all of this, uh, Jeff. It's, it's mm-hmm. kind of a cop-out to say that now because it is Wednesday and we're looking down the road at Monday. But everything that happens Monday with such, such important decisions being made uh, will be everything will fall out from there. So we'll we'll have a better sense of what exactly mm-hmm. the charges are. We don't know what the charges are right now. We don't know precisely what they will be for each one of the five uh, suspects. Um, we don't have a good sense of what the timeline will be for action, as we mentioned with the trials, uh, and we don't really have a good sense of what the consequences will be on the teams. Uh, so the teams that have these players that are on leaves of absence. There are consequences for them, too, in terms of the salary cap, in terms of on-ice uh, 
mechanics sure. and, and logistics that, you know, are really secondary, obviously, to, to this sort of thing. But there are a lot of unanswered questions. So I think mm -hmm. Monday really is going to be the turning point for everything that we know and everything we will know uh, going forward. There you go. That's Sportsnet senior editor Paul Grant who joined Jeff Merrick a little bit earlier on this Wednesday, uh, giving you the details on the 2018 World Junior Hockey Championship investigation by London police. And uh, as he heard there from Paul, uh, he's following this and reporting on it for Sportsnet. Monday going to be the big turning point. That's when London police uh, will update the public on a press conference at noon Calgary time. That's Monday, February 5th. And then we'll start to see more of the fallout for um, as, as Paul mentioned, NHL teams, contracts, uh, the future of the four players that are on NHL deals right now, and then obviously um, separate for Alex Formanton, who's been playing in the Swiss League right now. But uh, Monday, the next big stepping point there. And wanted to play that in detail because Paul's the guy that's been covering this for Sportsnet. He's been following all the details, and uh, I thought just laid everything out that you needed to know on this case very well when he chatted with Jeff earlier on Wednesday. So that's the uh, absolute latest on this situation, of course, we'll keep you up to date on uh, anything that follows here on Sportsnet. Uh, no easy way to transition to it, but uh, we will take a look at the NHL schedule tonight. Three games left to go before the NHL officially hits the All-Star break. I know it's weird. Flames have been off for a couple of days now. Same with a lot of teams across the league, but we've had games all week long, and we've got three to finish it off tonight. Sportsnet's got a doubleheader of Wednesday night hockey. You can catch the Sins and the Red Wings at 5 o'clock. More reports coming out on Wednesday that the Sens are a team that's very interested in a Chris Tanev. Uh, seems like you could get in line with uh, a number of other teams. Wouldn't that be uh, an odd destination for Chris Tanev if they do wind up trading him, that he winds up an Ottawa senator? Uh, wait and see on that one. Sens and Red Wings again at 5 o'clock. Uh, 5.30, the LA Kings, who have been in a massive slide for pretty much the entire month of January. They're in Nashville getting set to take on the Predators. That's a big game. For both of those teams as they fight for position in the Western Conference wildcard race. And then at 8.30, the back half of the doubleheader on Sportsnet. It's the San Jose Sharks and the Anaheim Ducks. Boy, Shan, I, I just I can't wait for that one. That's, I mean, that's a game. We had two fantastic games yesterday. Just lights out, uh, fast-paced scoring affairs. And I, I'm expecting to see the same tonight. Glad that we get to see San Jose uh, two days in a row. I think that's a... That's a treat for the hockey fans, right, as we transition into All-Star Weekend. Yeah, I can't think of a better way to go into uh, some of the best players in the world in Toronto uh, than watching San Jose and Anaheim duke it out. Uh, the last game before the NHL All-Star break uh, is an 8.30 puck drop. Sharks in Anaheim getting set to take on the Ducks. Uh, he's Shan Virgie, one of my outstanding producers, alongside with Taylor Dingman on this Wednesday. Still to come around the corner. Vancouver Canucks have handed out a couple of key contract extensions uh, for two members of their management staff. Jim Rutherford got done a couple of weeks ago. Patrick Alvin, their GM, got the same treatment on this Wednesday. And all of it revolving around a pretty successful season so far for the Vancouver Canucks. Are they going all in on this year? What do we make of the situation with Elias Pettersson? Is he still hasn't been willing to put pen to paper with Vancouver yet? Uh, we'll chat all things Vancouver Canucks at the All-Star break with our pal Bick Nazar. He joins us next from Sportsnet 650 when Sportsnet Today returns here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Tied for the best record in the NHL heading into the All-Star break. The Vancouver Canucks got another key piece of their management group locked up. 
Patrick Alvine has signed a three-year contract extension to remain the Canucks GM. Jim Rutherford also got a contract extension recently, and now for the Vancouver Canucks, the question becomes, what does the rest of this season look like? And, of course, there's also that that other guy that plays on the team that they probably want to get signed up long-term, but that's for another day. We'll probably talk about it with our next guest anyways. He is Bick Nazar. From Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Big busy day for you guys. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm good. I, I, I'm I'm curious who the other person you're talking about because we haven't had any conversations about contract extensions in Vancouver. <laughs> no, it's, it's been moody. No, it's just, Why would you other talk? It's a, it's a Garland extension, right? You guys love him. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> what, is, what is Connor Garland's extension going to look like in Vancouver three years from now? Uh, That's what 650 is spending their time on. Yeah, 100%, man. You, you already know our playbook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what was it like today? Uh, what did you hear from the GM as uh, they got pen to paper on a three-year contract extension? What sort of stood out when you heard from Patrick Alvin today? Uh, he, he, to be honest, like Patrick Alvin does a really good job of like not saying much publicly. Uh, but there were moments, you know, again, him heaping praise upon Jim Rutherford, their working relationship has been so fantastic since day one since they have arrived. And I think you've seen the growth from Patrick Melvin over the course of two years to see A, to get to this stage, get an extension and all that. But just far more confidence in meeting with media from Patrick Melvin. But he, he does a fantastic job of keeping everything pretty close to his chest and not leaning on too much of, of, of what the big picture plans are sometimes from uh, the things of the Canucks. Uh, you mentioned it there, just over two years on the job now. As you guys sort of assess what you've seen from this new management group, what sort of sticks out to you as, the, I don't know if there's a signature move or a signature style about how Patrick Alvin goes about his business, but what would you sort of point to uh, as sort of his biggest imprint on this team? Well, the biggest move would be the Horvath trade, which was over a year ago now. That is like far and away the biggest move because it, it wasn't just that, hey, this is the captain of the team. It was the captain of the team having a career year. And they stuck to their principles of where they were in the summer. They said, you know, we have a certain price point that we expect the, the second line center to make. And you've now exceeded it. And you know, the negotiation was well beyond it as well. There was a rejection in the summer. And, you know, Orman did nothing but excel under that pressure and skyrocketed the price that to the point that they said, okay, this is now outside of our principles of how we're going to build our team, and they were willing to do that. Because I think there's a lot of management groups across the league, I'm sure we've seen it before, of you know, the pressure to find a star player who's having a fantastic season, and they were willing to sell high. And that's you know, somewhat foreign at times. Like we talk about, oh, sell high on a, on a depth piece, but that's not necessarily a core piece, the captain. And so when you, when you send that signal that you're willing to do that, it, it, it opens up the avenues. Okay, what, what, what else are they willing to do? Because apparently selling high isn't a concern to them. And you start kind of going through the entire list, and you know, Andre Kuzmenko's name has come up a lot in, in the rumor mill, and that's someone they recruited last year, had success. They're in the first year of a two-year deal that they gave him, and, and he's got like a modified no-trade clause as well but there's already rumors of Andre Kuzmenko being moved out. So that to me is the biggest thing of there's a certain confidence that uh, Patrick Alvey has that he's uh, willing to do anything. 
Also interesting to hear from him there that it's always curious how the the president of hockey ops slash GM role goes because that's one that's kind of different everywhere, Bick, you know, in in places like uh, Ottawa and Pittsburgh, you know, one guy kind of does both jobs, but in in Vancouver and we've seen it in Calgary where, you know, they're separate positions and the GM has a guy that he answers to directly. And Patrick Alvin certainly gave uh, a, a vote of confidence for, What's happening with Jim Rutherford and how the two of them get along, hey? Yeah, and I've used this phrase before that you know this was always going to be Patrick Alvin driving the car that Jim Rutherford designed, and I think in the last year you've seen that put into practice far more than what the first year of the regime looked like because you know Jim Rutherford had to take a bit of a public step back because you know, to his credit and it's meant as a compliment, like he's very willing to give you an answer when. And it's the exact opposite of Patrick Alvin, who's you know, going to keep things very tight and say words, but that doesn't necessarily give you an answer. And that step back, I think, has really allowed, obviously, Patrick Alvin to flourish. But you see the natural design of what this was supposed to be, of how two hands on the wheel can work and can thrive. Because I think that first year, there's a certain element of, okay, he's in this new position, Patrick Alvin. you got to give him the space to space to grow. But so much was happening that Jim Rutherford, I think, almost felt necessary to take a front-facing uh, profile. And over the course of time, as now the team is having a ton of success, I, I think just the dynamics were always going to work because they have so much mutual respect amongst the, uh, amongst the two of them. But now just the dynamics of how it works for the organization, uh, far better situated now than they've ever been. And obviously the next step for those two guys, Bick, is looking ahead to how they can improve this team ahead of the trade deadline. I mentioned they're tied for the best record in the NHL as we head to all-star break. Um, Sure feels like there's going to be a push from Canucks management to to go out and make this team better and maybe even make some more significant ads than they already have. I guess sort of a two-part question for you there. Do you agree with that approach? And is that sort of the approach that Canucks fans are hoping for as we get to uh, a little closer to that trade deadline? I, I think that that's like a unified approach from Canucks fans, that here you are, you're finally you know, having a good season after a, a decade of not. And moreover, like the, the certain success feels somewhat believable, that even if they regress, are they going to regress next season to an 80-point team, or are they going to regress to like a – you know, 95, 102-point team, someone that's still in the mix. So if you can bolster the group now and something that protects the future as well, that is what would be most encouraging. The thing that I push back on is I don't want to see them live in the high-end rental market and someone that walks the door out in uh, June and July. If, if, if it winds up being like a, a 25-year-old that fits the long-term build, spend the assets required, right? If it's someone that's 32, and you're only going to get a, a one-year run, and it costs like a first-round pick, that to me is incredibly concerning, because they're still, like, they've been very vocal about the idea that, like, they weren't that far from a rebuild, and they want to do this, you know, brick-by-brick brick build, and you have to do things that kind of serve both the, the short-term and the long-term, and he, he spoke a bit about, about it today, but there's been the, the common sentiment of wanting to reward this group for the successes that they had through 49 games, as you mentioned, tied for best uh, in the league. And I, I just worry if it's going to be the natural, like, deplete the resources 
than we do see from some buyers. Like Washington would have had it for years. And, and I, I don't know if Pittsburgh would have had it for years, too. I, I just don't think Vancouver is established enough that they can risk doing that just again. So what does this team need, then, in Patrick Alvin's mind, if if he is going to go down the road of being aggressive and he has his way, what does he add between now and the trade deadline, Vic? Uh, probably a top six forward. Certainly someone that can play with uh, Elias Pedersen. That, to me, would be the big thing that stands out. Uh, at some point, you know, they, they put the lotto line together for a bit. as uh, Miller, Besser, and Pedersen, uh, for those that aren't familiar. Um, and it worked. And then it, it really, like, they didn't produce at all. Uh, five on five for about four games. And they weren't getting scored on, which was fine, but you're putting that trio together, you're doing it because they're going to score and alleviate some of the pressure on the rest of the line. And it didn't really work uh, by the end of it. And so Miller goes back at center, Patterson goes back at center, and, and, and it, it looks balanced again down the middle. If you get if you do that, you need someone to play with Elias Patterson. Because Nick was having a struggle this year. Can't rely on Ilya McKayev to be the, the number two person on a line with Elias Pedersen. So you need someone consistent there. If it's a second-line center, you can put JT Miller off with Elias Pedersen. You can solve it that way. If it's a winger to go with Elias Pedersen, Miller can go back and center. You can solve it that way. But either way, the net result has to be Elias Pedersen gets a regular winger that can get the best out of that line right now because it's Elias Pedersen doing a lot of work when it's Kuzmanko and McCann. I'll, I'll ask the question because it's been out there. Does a guy like Elias Lindholm make a lot of sense? Yeah, I, I do think it makes some sense. Because um, the age range, I was actually earlier, I think it's in 32. Lindholm's 29. Uh, again, my concern would be it just feels like you're paying at the highest end of the market because like, I would imagine he's one of the most sought-after pieces. Uh, and I, a contract extension, if it fell in the, the way in Vancouver, at least it fits a certain age range, too, where he's 29, and that's things up with J.T. Miller, you can make it work that way. So, for me, that would be a very acceptable threshold, depending on what, what the contract would look like. But I just worry about, because this looming contract extension is hanging over everything, the idea of bringing someone in and giving them a contract extension before you have your business sorted with Elias Benson. That's really my only hang-up, but as far as player fit, I, I think you would imagine it work really well. And they, they mentioned that you know versatility could be something that they look at because uh, they only have so many bullets to fire, right? It'd be nice to go get a top-line winger and maybe another top six forward and maybe another D-man. They don't really have that. You can go get someone that can kind of fill two roles where Lindholm in a spot can play the wing and a spot can play the center. Maybe it solves something for them. Uh, I, it, it still feels like, though, we're on a waiting period because before any of that, money has to go out at some point for the Vancouver Cucks. He is Big Nazar from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Uh, chatting all things Vancouver ahead of the All-Star break and as GM Patrick Alvin uh, signs a three-year contract extension to remain in Vancouver as the team's GM. Let's talk about that about that contract extension because until Penn hits paper, it's obviously going to be a, a talking point. And I don't really know how to gauge it, Big, because Elias Pedersen seems to me like a guy that could just one of these days just say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm cool with it, I'll... I'm I'm here to sign an extension. Let's let's get it figured out. But at the same time, if you're Patrick Alvine, if you're Jim Rutherford, if you're an observer or a fan of this team, every day that goes by, you just get a little bit 
more concerned a little, right? Even in the midst of, of this great season, you, you have to be at least a little bit worried about the fact that he hasn't been any more committal than any other time as a member of the Canucks. Am I right on that or no? Uh, I, I think under common practice, yeah, you'd be right. I kind of started the season at like a 3 out of 10 of concern, and now in the end of January, I'm still kind of at a 3 out of 10, to be honest, uh, because like Elias Pettersson's at least been very consistent about this, right? He's mentioned that he's not going to speak about it, he's gone out of his way to not speak about it, and he's you know said he's not going to respond to every rumor that's out there, so he's been very consistent about it, and all you can do at that stage is just go play well. And you know, he spoke recently that like, hey, I'm going to worry about this at the end of the season. Now, there's a natural break here with all-star break. We'll see if anything happens between now and March 8th. But if your primary thing was you want to see the team have success, and now you're starting to have success, does that take away one of the you know, things they can hold against the franchise? Like, they're all holding their end of the market. So now the team is winning. And it really just comes down to Lisa Patterson saying, okay, I'm ready to negotiate. Now, if his plan was, I'm waiting until the end of the season, no matter what, then okay, like, we're still along that same plan. And Rutherford and Alvin have been fairly consistent on the idea that, like, hey, we have pub control here. There's another year we have to go through this. At some point, we all have to sit down and talk at the end of the season. He can't just walk out on us. And that's where I kind of say, like, if the team has success, they show as an organization they're committed to this success going out and acquiring somebody, because that's the thing I think is overlooked in all this, of what happened a couple of years ago after the bubble. And the franchise, I understand pandemic, all that sort of stuff. The franchise essentially had paused on competing, and they let a couple of free agents walk out the door, they land in Calgary, they go elsewhere, and they have success. And you're looking at it and saying, hey, we were just here as an athlete. Like, I'm trying to compete for the team. Why are you guys letting people walk out the door? And I, I think that, like, rubbed a lot of players the wrong way, and now you get this opportunity where you're performing so well and you can hold some leverage against the club. I, I understand it from Elias Patterson's point of view. of like, I'm putting up 100 points. This is going to cost you a pretty penny, and you got to show to the level of what I think we can achieve. Until we're back to that stage, like, I would understand holding this out until uh, as long as you can go. So it, it's, it's frustrating, I get it, but I, I use a phrase of, Let's act like we've been through a superstar negotiation before. It's going to cost a lot of money. This guy's got all the leverage in the world, and I don't think you can get too freaked out day to day of, oh, what does this mean? What does this mean? He's putting up a season. It's going to be a very nice season. You can make the claim that he should get close to $13 million, and until Pedersen says go, uh, I think Jim Rutherford and Patrick O'Lean have to sit by uh, and wait until they get that number because I, I – they don't really have a recourse here, what the contract should be like. He's going to say, I want four years, I want eight years. And what are you going to say, no to at least Pedersen? Uh, just wanted to, to dive in more on that, that Pedersen front there, and I'm curious oh. if if you – I think you're on the same page as me based on your last answer there, but I'm curious if, if there's a feeling in Vancouver that Elias Pedersen's pending decision is somewhat tied to playoff success in that. He wants to see what this team is willing to do when they've had a really good regular season and, and see that Alvin and Rutherford are willing to reward the team and then what they can do in, in the playoffs. Do you feel like that's going to be part of his decision-making in all of this? 
Yeah, I'm not sure about the, like, the direct playoff success. Just as an organization, you're trending back in the right direction, right? If it turns out they get blown out in the first round, okay, sure, all bets are off. But I'd be surprised if it's that like visceral of, oh, we need to achieve this rather than we're doing the right things as an organization. And that's kind of what I was alluding to before, that, that, that post-bubble offseason, they really didn't do things the right way as an organization. They weren't committed to winning the way, as, as an elite athlete, you would hope your, uh, your, the infrastructure around you is. And so if, if you just show the right steps, and certainly, hey, the hiring of Rick Tockett, the way the season has gone, all, they're, they're checking all the boxes. But in a season like this, you should go reward your players. You should say, hey, we, we, are, we are committed to doing this the right way, and this helps us here and now and certainly helps us in, in the future as well. So if you show that level of commitment on top of making the playoffs, I think that should be enough. Uh, but we'll wait and see what happens in the offseason, obviously. Uh, just a couple more for you, Big, before we let you go. Um, last couple of days have been sort of strange. Uh, a few outlets in Vancouver have thrown the name Nikita Zadorov around um, as a guy that the Canucks might move to make room for some other moves. Is that anything that's caught you guys as something that's serious, or is that just something that maybe got uh, too much play in a, what's a very aggressive online market in Vancouver? Uh, can I say yes to both? Sure, uh, yeah, that's fine. Because I, 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 I think the primary thing is, like, Nikita Zadorov served a huge purpose, right? Like, Carson Soucy went out, and they didn't have another D-man, and they were short. They were playing Mark Friedman as their number six, like, eight minutes a night. And, and it was just, like, survival mode. And then you go bring in um, Zadorov, and then Soucy comes back, and suddenly you look at this like, all right, we got some players. And actually, Noah Jolson's emergence over the past you know, two, three months has actually been really impressive. He plays a prominent PK role, and even when they have all seven, eight guys healthy, you know, it's referenced by Quinn Hughes, by Rick Tockett. They're like, hey, Noah Jolson deserves to play, and we just can't get him in the lineup right now. And now that, you know, Susie's out again, maybe you'll see the usefulness of Zadorov again, but there was a stretch there where, like, he got benched for the entire third period a couple of games ago. And he's been physical, he's brought to certain elements, but to me, like, the biggest service he could have provided was that stretch there from December to Carson Soucy coming back of, Hey, we, we just need more regular bodies. And as I was saying earlier, like this is a management group that is willing to do just about anything. And it really wouldn't surprise me if before March 8th, there's some sort of transaction there. Now they've also built this decor to be trees on the back end. And I do find it tough to say, Okay, you hear they're sending out you know six foot four, six foot five guys, and they just have some ready-made guys to come back in. So it's it's a tough reality. But if you're asking me if it would surprise me before March eighth, they make a move with Nikita Zadorov, I don't think so because I I mentioned like money has to go out at some point if they go out and tend to get a uh, top six forward. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Brock Besser hits the thirty goal mark this season. Um, does he get enough play in Vancouver for the sort of resurgence he's had under Rick Tockett? I know obviously why there's so much talk around Miller and, and Pedersen and Hughes mm-hmm. and the great seasons that they're having. But I remember conversations with you last year, man, where it was like they couldn't give this guy away. And here he is uh, on the 30 goal mark already at the All-Star break. Yeah, he's probably not getting enough love. I would say as soon as he hit the 30 mark, uh, an outpouring came out from a lot of Canucks fans just to say, like, he's been after this since 2018, right? He was at 29 goals. The injury happened, and he, he should have got 30, actually. There was a, a missed 
uh, calculation on a goal that it clearly goes off a stick. Like he should have got 30 in his, in his rookie year. And he's, he's talked about it. Hey, got to get 30, got to get 30. And, and last year, like that was a statement and he gets 18 last year. And then, so this year, you know, he, again, he kind of doubled down on it. He's like, I feel so much better this year. And he, he wouldn't put an exact number on it like he had in, in the season before, but there, there was a renewed confidence from Brock Besser. And then he goes and gets 30 and suddenly this outpouring of support from fans. And it was like, all right, like, this is our guy. He's finally done it. And he's here. Uh, I, I don't know what it means for the long term, but certainly he probably hasn't gotten the shine that he deserves because he's been up and around the, the league leaders for goals. But in a season where you know JT Miller's got 67 points, Pedersen's 64, Quinn Hughes has taken a step up, and he's plus 34 and 62 points, Besser maybe has been overlooked a bit. Uh, Bick, appreciate the time as always, pal. Before I let you go, I imagine uh, your allegiances sit with Kansas City for the Super Bowl instead of the in-division rivals of the Seahawks. Am I correct? You got it, man. You got it. Go Chiefs. (laughs) Appreciate the time as always, pal. Thanks for the insight. Have a great break over the All-Star weekend, hey? Cheers. Take care. Big Kazar joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline from Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver as Patrick Alvin signs a three-year contract extension to remain as the Canucks GM. That pairing with him and Jim Rutherford as president of Hockey Ops has been a pretty successful one for Vancouver this year. And uh, if you listen to Patrick Alvin earlier today, Sounds like they're going to try to be as aggressive as possible leading up to the trade deadline. They've got a first-round pick they still have uh, to use. Maybe some prospects like Mackey, Niels Hoaglander's a guy that's been uh, bandied about in a few different markets, including Calgary. Uh, Vancouver's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think you're wanting to waste a season where at the All-Star break, uh, Hughes, Miller, and Pedersen are all over 60 points, and you've got Besser sitting at 30 goals. Uh, on this season feels like a good as, as good a time as any for the Vancouver Canucks uh, to go all in on a season. Uh, thanks to Bick for joining us once again. When we come back, we're going to kick off Hour 2. Keep up the hockey talk with our pal Ailish Forfar from the fan pregame show on Sportsnet. She's had an all-star weekend in Toronto. She's going to be rocking the red carpet and doing a bunch of different events for Sportsnet, so we'll check in with Ailish, see what she's up to. And we still have another edition of Wildcard Wednesday to get to all before the show closes out. We've got one more hour to go here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.